Well, it's a real privilege to be here tonight, yeah. be at camp meeting. I'm honored to be among you. I thank God for your fellowship and just thank God that every one of you are here, that we're all here. It's a wonderful yeah. blessing. I've enjoyed the Spirit of God already this service. Been so good. I feel very thankful and thankful to God. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to get right into the scripture tonight, and, and I believe that God's Word has more to say to this congregation than I do, so um, I'm going to begin reading tonight in Genesis chapter 4. I wanted to tell you, though, I've, uh, I'm not going to take the time to read. It's a, it's a lengthy story, but I've been, increasingly, I've been increasing in admiration for the prophet Jeremiah in reading through that book recently. It just seems like... Um, that man endured. That man was called to a mission impossible. God said, "I am. You're. Go, he's going. You're going to give my word to this people, and they will not hear you. Do it anyway." It, it was. If you were judging the value of his ministry on the number of converts that he had, you wouldn't think a whole lot of this man. But he was faithful to God, and he did what God said. It come at tremendous personal cost. There was a long story, but he was there when Babylon came and uh, sacked Jerusalem. He was there when the city fell. And there was a number, uh, it was a series of events that took place that brought that about. And um, the first time that Nebuchadnezzar came, he carried away a number of captives and took away the king and put a new king in place and went back to Babylon took some treasures of the house of the Lord, but he didn't burn to totally destroy anything. And it was a number of years, and uh, about 11 years before he came back. And, during, and Ezekiel was with the captives that went back to Babylon, and Jeremiah was with the people of Israel that remained in Jerusalem behind the wall. And they rebelled against the king of Babylon in spite of Jeremiah's suggestion, and God brought Babylon's army back and just besieged the city. And as they were starving them out. They were encamped around the city. Jeremiah was inside the city telling the people to give up and surrender. That God was leading this Babylonian army to take them into captivity and if they would submit themselves, they would live. And there was no way they could win a fight against them. Well, I mean, you can imagine. What if you were the general who had given the commission from the king to keep the charge of the city? And that was your family that, was, that you were protecting. And this prophet is telling every, the men on the wall not to fight. And he says, put him away, shut him up, because he's discouraging the men that are on the wall. Well, obviously, I think if you, any one of us had been in the position of that general, see, they didn't have, they didn't have, we have the benefit of hindsight. They didn't have that. They didn't know how the story was going to end. Obviously, he should have known this man was a prophet. He should have believed the prophet. What he would did, what anyone would think would be admirable, he silenced his voice, put him in prison, and commanded the people to fight. And of course, what Jeremiah had prophesied was true, and that changes the whole equation. Because if you are that man, what do you do? What if he's telling you the truth? Yes. You're protecting all of your family, all your city, everything you've got, your nation. But if he's telling you the truth, you are a fool fighting against God. 
And then the blood of everyone is on your hands. All the, the city didn't have to be burned. It didn't have to be destroyed. And it was totally leveled to the ground because he resisted. Now, that makes a big difference whether the man is telling the truth or not. Makes a big difference. So, in Genesis chapter 4, we have a little glimpse here I'm going to share with you. I love this passage of Scripture when God and the devil have a dialogue, have back and forth. And a few times the Scripture gives us that. There's a lot of that in the book of Job. But here in chapter 4, um, this is when Cain and Abel um, bring an offering to the Lord. And, and the Lord has respect unto Abel and to his offering and unto Cain. He has not respect. Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. This is reading in verse 6. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And then it's as though, it's as though he turns to, to the person of sin who's lying at the door, so to speak. And he says, And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And that right there is the condition of all mankind ever since. It is the desire of man to commit sin against God. And he sin rules over man ever since. That's never changed. And when God made that decree... It's fixed. It's final. And you, that's a point that cannot be disputed. I don't even think anybody would dispute that. The, the evidence is overwhelming. Yes. Look around you. Yes. The nature of man is to go contrary to the laws of God. So, I know some people will maybe argue that point, and, and, and I'm not going to have time to take all that up, but I'm going to assume that we can all recognize that I, I believe... That man is completely fallen, capable of the most tremendous evil. That is our nature. That is our, when you strip away society, strip away culture, civilization, conscience, training, parents, and, and get down to the very core of who we are, you'll find a very ugly picture. Very ugly picture. One of the things the law does, I'll give you one example. Every time we have a hurricane hits this nation, what happens as soon as uh, the, the storm comes ashore, and it's like law enforcement and weather can't get... You immediately... First thing is looting. Like, immediately. And, well, what, why didn't they do that last week, the week before? What, it's people are restrained by the law. The, the restraints that are in place are preventing people from what their desire is. And as soon as that's taken away, you see people act in a way they never would otherwise act. And I don't think that anyone is I, I believe we would all be surprised at the evil that we are capable of deep down before God got a hold of us. This is what he says. If thou doest, and, and anyway, I read that. Unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So when we have committed sins before against God, and, and when I say I want to clarify that I'm talking about sinning against God, because it's popular now... There's a common belief that if you're not sinning against someone else, then you're not sinning at all. Yeah. So that if you're not causing harm to people, then what your behavior is fine. 
it's your business, it's your life, you can do what you want to do because it's not hurting anyone else. Right. And so that becomes the standard of whether something is right or wrong is whether it's causing harm to someone else. And I want to tell you there's a lawgiver that, is, that, that gave us a law long before yeah. that, that had a lot to say about that. And you can't ignore that. So you can sin against God and not be aware of it. But it's still sin against God. So some people commit sins against God and don't recognize that they're sins. Now, I'm going to get into something. Maybe we'll get into something tonight. Of what is a sin? Well, something for you might not be for me. Something for me. And I think that that is a... That, that conversation, well, that train of thought is taking you away from where... And what the scripture is trying to t- this is taking you away from where we need to go. Now there may be an appropriate time for that, but I think that that's a trap. The question is, how do you respond to your to the sin in your life? How have you responded? Remember, one another. At, who said that? This they were talking about that earlier. Uh, I believe Uncle Steve mentioned something about that when we were singing that song. Not to rely on what others do. One, we are not our own judge. So we're not judging ourselves by ourselves and by the standards of society. Belshazzar had a little while later after that story, after Jeremiah, Belshazzar thought that um, he was going to bring in the golden vessels into the, and, and make a party and a feast out of them. Ah, it wouldn't hurt anybody. wasn't doing him any, no, doing no harm. He didn't realize he was doing anything wrong. He didn't know the laws of God. He didn't know this. Bring in the golden vessels. But in, as they're, as just in the middle of their feast, he sees the writing of a man's hand. What happened? And all of a sudden, his knees smote together. His spirit was troubled. And, and the party was over. Judgment was coming. And why? Because he had sinned against God. He hadn't sinned against someone else. He'd sinned against God. There's, a, there's an occasion in the, the book of Proverbs talks about the adulterous woman who uh, uh, eateth and wipeth her mouth and saith, I have done no wickedness. Not conscious of it. What? I, I'm fine. I've, nobody, exactly. Nobody's harmed. I've done no wickedness. So, let me give you an example of another one. I'm gonna, there, the, the, so the Word of God is giving us a multitude. The whole book is full of examples of how people responded to, this, it, to, to the, the condition that they're born into, which is sin. That's what it's, one of the things it's about. And you can everybody in Scripture deals with it in some way or another, and there's a lot of different ways that they do. And I'm going to point out just a few of them, and I believe we can find... Um, in one of these or the other, everybody in this room tonight is, is here. This book knows you better than you realize. Let me turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Um, so this is, a, this is when Saul, after Saul had committed a sin, and he realized he had done something wrong. He realized he had committed a sin, but he didn't think it was all that bad. So it's a sin, yeah, it's a sin, but it's not that bad. I had a conversation with a woman uh, not that long ago, and she just, um, she told me, she said, I, I sin every day. I know I sin, and I pray, I hope, she said, I hope he lets me in. But, 
And, and in, as our conversation continued, I began to realize that this woman is very conscious that she is committing sins, but she is not conscious of the awful consequences of the sin in her life. That's what she didn't realize. It wasn't that big of a deal. It was like, it's just part of life. It's just become part of life. Saul comes, um, in this particular case, this is reading in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel said unto him, this is after he had not obeyed God. The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent. For he is not a man that he should repent. And then he said, talking about Saul, I have sinned. Yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. So he acknowledges when he gets put in the corner, he acknowledges, yeah, I've committed a sin, but let, let's just kind of forget about that and I, honor, just, you know, give me some respect. I want to worship the Lord with you. Well, it doesn't work that way. Let me tell you. Ezekiel ran into some people like that too. I'm going to read you a little bit from Ezekiel. I read these verses the other day. This is just... See if this doesn't sound familiar. This is reading in chapter 33, and I apologize. I can't give you the context entirely of this scripture in the interest of time. But chapter 33, God is telling Ezekiel that this is something the kind of people that he was listening to. Remember, he was on the captives. He was with the captives back there in the land of Babylon. Also thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses, and speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. So the prophet becomes like uh, an orator, an entertainer, a musician. That's, let's go hear the preaching tonight. It's just amusement. It's just going to go out and hear the prophet. And God is saying, they're, this is very different than what Jeremiah was dealing with, which was stiff persecution. They love to hear him. Oh, he's a great preacher. We want to come out and hear our preacher. They're just not going to do what he says. They'll hear your words, and they will not do them. <clears throat> That's someone who has acknowledged that they have sin, but they do not believe that it's harmful, that it's really doing them that much harm. I, uh, I got a text in the book of John Chapter 16, love this, Jesus says here. This is when uh, you'll run into some people who believe that they, they are actually committing sin, but believe that they're doing good. That their sin is right. That their sin is worth celebrating and, and something that they become proud of. They like it. And, and not, not only are they not conscious that it's sinful and that it's wrong, but that it is good. Let me give you an example. Something of honor, something of respect. These things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. 
we run in, we see that yeah. right regular. I mean, not, not just back then. This is very, this is, the Bible is timeless. This is very current. That people actually believe that committing acts of evil is good. It can get that backwards and that turned around. And that sins against God ought to be respect, ought to be um, acts of honor. And that doesn't make it right. Remember, y'all, we are not our own standard. God has set a standard for us. Jeroboam was another one. Oh, Jeroboam thought he was going to do good. Yeah, he just made him some calves. And when the people came, he took ten tribes. God gave him ten tribes. And he, he brought them back to Samaria. Was afraid that if they went back to Jerusalem that they wouldn't come back and be subject to him. So he just made calves and said, These are your gods that brought you out of Egypt. Just do your sacrifice here. Well, he... Had the, he was, had the people thinking that they were worshiping God when they were worshiping a false God. But he had them thinking that they were worshiping God. So the people come and they begin worshiping God. This is the God that brought us out of Egypt. And they were doing the very thing that God told them in commandment number one on the tables of stone that God gave Moses. But they didn't know. They were, they were ignorant. But did that relieve them of guilt? As another one, when I, I didn't go back to that story, if you go back to the story of Saul, when he spared the Amalekites, Saul, the Lord had told him to go down and destroy the Amalekites, every one of them. Men, women, children, cattle, everything. Every living creature, destroy them, utterly destroyed. Well, Saul brought back, when he comes back to Samuel, he's got this big train coming. Samuel says, What meaning the bleeding of the sheep that I hear and the lowing of the oxen in my ears. And he says, oh, these are, uh, we brought these back to make a sacrifice unto the Lord. He was in disobedience, but he believed that what he was doing was good because he was going to take those and make a sacrifice unto the Lord regardless of what God's word said. Makes sense. Sounds good. Make a sacrifice to, yeah, we're, but you can't make it up as you go. That your own, you, if you justify yourself and it's contrary to God's word, it's still condemned. It's still sin. When Christ came into the, to, and we read about in the days of Christ, he finds the money changers that were there. He'd set up shop in the temple and they were selling. And, and they were making the process of uh, bringing the turtle doves and the pigeons and the sacrifice a whole lot easier. And you could just go there and buy your sacrifice and give it, turn it in. And um, they were set up and were making a business of it. Well, they may have thought they were doing the Lord a service, making everything a lot easier. Jesus overturned their tables, drove them out. His anger was kindled. My house shall be called a house of prayer. You have made it a den of thieves. And the Pharisees over and over were doing the same thing. In their self-righteousness, in their contempt for sinners, they were doing the very things that God had told them not to do. And they felt like they were the ones who were holding the standard high. Let me go to the book of Proverbs. There's one more. <laughs> Another kind of people handle sin a little bit different. Some people commit sins and hide them. This is probably the most common. 
hidden sins. Proverbs 28 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And so you see the servant of uh, the servant Gehazi when he comes before his master, and his master calls him in, and he says, Thy servant went no whither. He thought he, he, he'd hidden his sin, thought he had it covered up. Another example, the wife of Jeroboam goes to the prophet Ahijah, who is on his deathbed. She's disguised herself so that he won't know who she is. And when she's approaching the cabin, as she's walking up the porch, he hears her footsteps out in the forth and says, Come in, thou wife of Jeroboam. Why feignest thou thyself to be another? He knew exactly because God had told him who she was and gave him. He said, Thus, go tell Jeroboam, thus saith the Lord. God knows. David attempted the same thing. Tragic, tragic story. Took that righteous man, sent him out, wrote the letter to Joab, said, set Uriah forth in the heat of the hottest battle and retire from him that he may be smitten and die. All in an attempt to hide and cover his sin. And I thank you, God, that wasn't the end of that story. What about Joseph's brothers? Sold him into Egypt. Sold him to well. It sold him to the Ishmaelites who were going to Egypt. Put the money in their pocket. Took his coat. Took a kid out of the goats. Cut it open. Put his blood all over the coat. Cut it up and took it to their father and said, "See, tell if this be thy son's coat or no." And his father and they didn't. They, you know, obviously it was in deceit. They were covering up their sin. Oh, in the process of time. They knelt at that man's feet. Exactly like the dream had said. They knelt at his feet. And when he finally revealed himself to them and said, I am Joseph, they were so troubled they couldn't speak. Fear not. And he took them to him and loved them and, and hugged them and fed them and brought them to Egypt and put them up. It's a beautiful, incredible story. But they were trying to hide their sin. Ananias and Sapphira. Go to the New Testament. Still find people trying to hide their sin. Sold a piece of land. Now they, what they were doing was good too. It was wrong, but they thought it was good because they were making a big donation to the church. Giving a bunch of money. And it looked good, and it made them feel good, but they just weren't going to give everything to the church. They were going to keep a little bit for themselves, and they weren't going to tell anybody about it. That was the problem. They weren't going to tell anybody. And they kept back part of the price. And so they came to Peter, and he asked him, Is this the price you sold? And he said, Yep, that's what we sold it for. And the Holy Ghost smites him, and he falls dead. And it was about three hours later. His wife come in, and Peter says, Tell me, is... You know, did, did you sell the land for so much? And she said, yeah, for so much. And he said that you have conspired together to lie against the Holy Ghost and the feet of them that have buried thy husband are at the door and will carry thee out. She fell down and... Listen, hidden sin, judgment. I, would, I, I can't tell you all the stories. There's another one called a man named Achan. You remember him? Joshua told them when they went to Jericho, they were given a specific command not to take anything 
They weren't going to spoil that city. They weren't to take anything. And when he went in there and saw the wedge of gold and a Babylonian garment, he coveted them. He wanted them. He took them and he hid it in his tent and thought it was over. Nobody found out. Nobody saw him slipping in there. He was in the clear. And it wasn't long. The whole congregation knew. And Joshua brought him out and he lost his life and his family lost his life. They were a reproach. And there were a number of other Israelites that lost their life trying to beat Ai because of his sin. It was a tremendous effect for the congregation. <clears throat> but there's one more. And I'm going to turn tonight and read to you from Luke chapter 7. Before I go to Luke 7, I want to read to you. Uh, I'm gonna, I, I didn't have this turned down, but I was just thinking about a verse in Romans chapter 7. This is, this is the crux of it. This really gets down to it right here. And uh, forgive me again for jumping in right in the middle of this chapter, where, but, but this is reading in verse 12. Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment is holy, just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. So he's talking about the law. It showed him his sin. But sin, that it might appear sin. Working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. So there's a difference. It's not just that, yeah, I acknowledge that that's wrong or that this is okay, this isn't such a big deal. Maybe that's your thing, that's not my... No, but when, when the Holy Ghost came and God showed a light on their sin, they realized it wasn't just wrong, it was exceedingly sinful. It troubled them. Made them realize that they were lost, headed for judgment, lost before God, doomed. And then he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. This is his dawning. It's coming to him. He's starting to realize that I would, uh, that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that do I. And then he goes on down to say, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Christ Jesus my Lord. Well, I want to tell you about one more thing. When Jesus Christ came, <clears throat> everything started changing. There was something about his person. Now, I love, Brother Glenn was talking last night about the Holy Spirit. And I wanted to amen to that and, and, and say thank you for that message. One thing you need to realize, the Holy Spirit is not a tool that God uses to work. In, the Holy Spirit is the manifestation of God Himself. It's, it's not just God's instrument. It is not something we summon, we call down. We, it, is, it is God Himself. Now, that is God's manifestation in the days after Christ. We had God the Father... All the Old Testament God, you had the manifestation of the Son for those 30-something 30, 30 years that He was here. And from that day of Pentecost since, you have had the day of the Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit that works with us tonight. Amen. But, but um, when Jesus began to... He, people be, there was something about being in the pre, His presence that caused made them conscious of their sin. When they were in the presence of His holiness... They realized that they were sinners. He didn't even have to say anything. Sometimes. I mean, he did. John told them to repent. Jesus told them to repent. They all, 
Everything from the very beginning told them to repent. That's what the apostles preached too. If you want to go to the book of Acts, it's interesting, I've done that recently, and read what they preached, exactly what they said, what they were communicating. They weren't trying to tell the people that they, they needed to go to heaven or that they were to get away from hell. They were telling them that their sin was the problem. That being saved in eternal life was, was, a was, was a consequence. It was like a side benefit. That was a consequence of being delivered from their sin. The real problem was the sin. He said, repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. And they preached in Acts, in Acts chapter 2. Peter preached repentance. They preached it in chapter 3. They preached it in chapter 4. They went to prison in chapter 5. When Stephen comes in chapter 6 and 7, he begins telling the same people the same thing. He's giving them the whole history, telling them to repent. And, and chapter 9, Saul's converted. In chapter 10, the story of Cornelius, the Italian. The Holy Ghost comes. They repent. His whole house repents. They're all saved. And then chapter 11, Peter recounts the same thing. In chapter 12, James is killed. And uh, Paul really begins preaching in chapter 13. And the same thing, all through his preaching is the same consistent message. The problem was sin. That was their problem. It was that thing that, that unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. That was the issue that they had come to address. That, and, and that message is consistent right throughout. We read about his sermon on Mars Hill when he says... Excuse me. <clears throat> I, I want to turn to you and read that because I'm probably going to mess it up. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and have determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own prophets have said, for we are also His offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to silver or gold or stone, graven by art or man's device. At the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he would judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Wherefore he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Jesus came to the woman at the well. And when he began to witness to her and communicate with her, immediately she is confronted with her sin. The sin of her life becomes the topic of conversation. And they had to deal with that first. And she, that had to be taken away. But oh, in the process of time, she goes back to her people when she leaves him. She said, come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Jesus walking through Jericho sees a man named Zacchaeus who climbed up in a tree. He was short. He couldn't see over the crowd. But he climbed up in a tree to see him. This man was a sinner. The Bible says he was a publican. He'd done many things contrary to the law of God. And Jesus comes by and sees him up there. And, and he stopped and said, Zacchaeus, come down. And when Zacchaeus came down, he says, Lord, 
If I have taken anything, half of my goods I give to feed the poor. He'd stolen. That's what he's guilty of. And if I have taken anything by false accusation, I will restore to him fourfold. Jesus didn't say anything. He just said, come down. And immediately Zacchaeus begins to repent because he was in the presence of a holy God. He was in before the Son of God. And he immediately was conscious of his sin. He realized it. And so when Jesus says this day, salvation is coming to this house for as much as he also is a child of Abraham. And that man was saved that day and that man's sins were blotted out and he had he was the 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 chief of publicans which is probably about as bad a thing as you could say about a guy in scripture Luke chapter 7 so I'm I want y'all to remember we've covered a, a number of people in the scripture and they had a lot of different backgrounds but I want to talk to you especially that are uh most of y'all, I, well, I say, I, there's all kind of people here, and, and maybe some got hidden sins that nobody knows about. And um, God knows, God knows. I think every, there's probably somebody here in these, in these categories, somebody th- doesn't realize that they're in sin. Somebody realizes they're in sin but doesn't think it's very bad. Somebody realizes that they're in, well, thinks that their sin is good. Somebody's hiding their sins. And bless the guys, is there anybody around here who's repented and forsaken their sins? Because there's your last category. That's the, that's the response. So it's not whether you've sinned or not, it's how you've responded to it. All the people heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. This is reading in Luke chapter 7 and verse 30. Now I'm at verse 30. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of Him. They didn't need any baptism of Him, right? But remember what it says before. All the people heard Him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John, which is the baptism of repentance. And the Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? They are like unto children sitting in the marketplace, calling one to another and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and ye have not wept. For John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking wine, eating bread nor drinking wine, and ye say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man is come, eating and drinking. And ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. So what he's telling them is, you're, when he goes back and uses this illustration of children playing in the market, and, and, and it's like uh, John was giving them the gospel. The, this is far more... Uh, so someone was playing them music, and they had no appreciation or recognition of it. And, and, and then they're saying, well, we piped unto you and you didn't dance. And we played and, you, you know, you didn't rejoice, you didn't do anything. And then Jesus is saying, John the Baptist came neither eating or drinking, and you found fault with him. I came eating and drinking, and you find fault with me. The problem is it's not the eating or the drinking. It's just that you're finding fault, and you're looking for a reason to find fault. That's, that's, the, that's the problem because it wasn't rational. It didn't make sense. 
if they had really been against John because he was fasting and eating locusts and wild honey, then they would have accepted the preaching of Christ. But they didn't want his either. And so Christ is showing them their own hypocrisy and using this. And listen, y'all, some people just don't want to change and want to find fault. And they want to say, well, you're not doing right. Somebody's not living like they're supposed to. That person's not. Therefore, I'm justified in whatever I want to do. But listen, we're not each other's judge. That does not change the scripture. Wisdom is justified of her children. And what that is saying is just give it a little time and you'll see. When the fruits of your decision have had time to bear, then you'll see what you've got. And you find out whether it was wise or not to reject God. And you won't, it won't be very long before you see what happens. As Jesus is, Jesus is just beginning his ministry here, it didn't take very long. Those publicans and sinners that were baptized of John were wise. And you, you, now you can look back and see. And the Pharisees that wound up eventually crucifying Christ were considered as the greatest fools, in, all, in my opinion, in all history. All right, so in this particular time, this is the very next verse. Verse 36, one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went down into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them, with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. See, he's not revealing his thoughts, even though Jesus knows them. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he whom he forgave most. (laughs) And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said unto the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Now... What I want to tell you is this is an illustration of what we're seeing here tonight. And I, love, I want to say this. I love you all with all my heart. There's so many good people. And, that's a, and I put that in air quotes because that's a, that's a saying in the world. Good people. And I believe that. 
people who wouldn't do harm to anybody, who do, do right by their neighbors, who, who live in a respectable way inside of their community, and, and, and tend to their families, and, and, and make them, conduct themselves in a way that is useful, and would do anything for you, nicest people you've ever run into. But what I'm wanting to tell you is that is what this man was. The woman was not that way at all. But she responded differently to her sin. He never acknowledged that he had any. And I'm telling you, regardless of how good you are, you are a sinner. It is the default setting. That's what the Bible teaches. And how you respond to that is everything. And I want to just say, it's like God's word is saying, woe unto you that are good and do everything right and treat everyone right and never repent. Do you have anything to repent of? Absolutely. Absolutely you do. You've sinned against God. And you may not have a single person who would tell you that you've never done anything wrong against them, but you have sinned against God in breaking His commandments. I'm not going to read anymore. I'm going to leave that with you all. But I'll tell you one thing. <clears throat> if you have sin in your life tonight, well, there's one scripture, I, and I won't take the time to look it up and read it. The Apostle Paul said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And when you come to God and the God convicts you of your sin, that's the way you're going to feel too. Everybody feels that way at some point. Whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And if there's sin in your life, I want to tell you, you haven't been saved. Because Jesus came to save us from sin. She shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. And that's the crux of the gospel. That's what this is about. Now, you might, that may offend you. And I, you may not have ever heard that. And that may sound offensive to you. But I want to just think about Jeremiah. Remember, that, remember Jeremiah back there behind the wall. And what if what I'm telling you tonight is true? Let the congregation stand.